Welcome to the Jesus Culture Podcast. Great to have you with us. As always, wherever you are, on a treadmill. On the couch. On the couch. On the subway in New York, skiing the Alps. Nobody's um, listening while they're on skiing. A, on a gondola. In Venice. <laughs> Just making things up. right. Yeah, on a gondola, <laughs> going down a canal. They thought, you know what I need to listen to? While the I'm on Jesus this. Culture <laughs> Podcast. Listen, if you are listening on a gondola right now, send the picture, and I don't know what we'll Actually, buy you. Actually, if but you're we, listening we, on a gondola, turn this off <laughs> and enjoy the moment. You do. This uh, is you the last podcast you need to be listening to while on, on a, a gondola. Guys, I'm. I just want to say I am here. People were wondering if this is just it's like a male-driven. Uh, Becky's Becky's like uh, slowly like gathering. Like, hey, some random person told me they miss me. <laughs> the 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 masses are clamoring. The masses are clamoring for a Becky movement. Bring Becky back. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, well, it's great to be with all of you guys. Have a really great guest uh, that we're gonna have on. Somebody that in my own life has been a friend and is really inspired, challenged. It's just a smart and inspirational guy and is really has some incredible stuff to say about reaching cities. We also want to make sure we let you know that Jesus Culture Podcast Network across all of our podcasts has partnered with World Vision. We believe deeply in what they're doing and a program called Chosen where a child somewhere in the world actually chooses you to be a sponsor. It's a really incredible program. World Vision's doing a great job to come alongside communities, families, children in every area, education, healthcare, quality of life. So make sure uh, you check that out. We'll give you some more information in the middle of the podcast. Uh, But here's the real news for today. Here's the big news. Here's what we should be talking about before the interview. Drum roll, please. And that is, today is Phil Manginelli's birthday. Not the day that you're listening to the podcast, because we pre-record these, but the actual day that we're recording this podcast is Phil Manginelli's birthday, and I told this to Becky. I said, Becky, today is the last day of Phil's young adult years. I don't think he appreciates and, you no. telling people how old he is. Well, shoot. Oh, I'm going to tell him how old they are. What do, we care? what do I care? I'm on the other side. He can't do anything. Um, but- Most people think I'm like 50, so I'm okay when they find out I'm 39. So when I say the last day of young adult years, what would you think? 26. Oh, you think 27? that 27 is now the official adult years? Like, where do you even come up with that number? Like, where do you pull that number out? In your head. Um, the tw- fact that I'm leading a young adult school for 18 to 25-year-olds. So. Okay, all right. Okay. okay. We, and on the box, when you check young adult. Young, Phil, I'm sorry. Do you go to young adult ministry? Do you go to young no, adult? No, I'm sorry. So I don't, think he's a, I don't think he's a young adult at 39. I'm saying though. That the decade of the 30s is still young adult. Do we oh, disagree? With this? Do you I, feel I, that I think 30, I is 31 still a young adult or not? No, I would say no. Yes, 100%. <laughs> okay, well, this is what you're doing. Phil, enjoy the last year of not being middle age. How about that? I'll take that. Uh, can we at least admit, maybe, maybe you're not a young adult, but you're not middle age. The yet. 30s live in their own. You're not a young adult. You think Jesus was a young adult during the height of his ministry? Ooh, that's that's a good point. You're, we're that's we, a valid point. We've based our lives on a young adult. Also, Thomas Jefferson wrote like the Declaration of Independence at 33. Like so, yes. But that was like that was like end of life exactly. back then. All right. Okay. Well, All right. Phil, welcome to your last year. Let me just give you some real quick piece 30s. of advice. When I turned 39, somebody told me the next year you will think about 40. And I did for an entire year. It was like a countdown in my head. Ugh. That was like, I'm one day closer to 40. This I'm is the one day worst closer birthday wish ever. I'm editing this out. Phil, no. you go live up 39. No. You're not going to think Welcome. about 40. Welcome to 39 where you will think about 40 every day.
Three day. Don't receive that. One day closer to the big 4-0. Uh, are you doing anything special to celebrate your birthday? Which, by the way, he had a birthday party the other day, a surprise birthday party. And I tried to FaceTime him we in the invited. middle of his surprise birthday party. And he totally, can I say this, ghosted? Is that right, he Becky? He probably declined it. He's probably like, this is the last person I want to talk Just to. Just like, it was a surprise <laughs> when birthday party. I'm trying party, to celebrate. And I tried to participate in the surprise birthday party over FaceTime because they have this technology now that you can join things over I'm video. I'm offended at Emily that she didn't invite me. Why were we not so invited? So, Phil, can we deal with this right now as friends on our podcast about why you didn't answer my FaceTime during your surprise birthday party? You know, it was uh, it was a gondola moment. <laughs> I was just I was just out in the moment. Just it was in pretty the great. Moment. So I am now. Listen, this is my goal. I'm going. I'm going out big. I've got. I, I was fixing banning earlier uh, about this. Like I've got. I've got one year where I can technically blame things. I'm being like a young leader who's still learning. So I just whatever mistakes I want to make, I'm I'm just going big this year. Get them all out of the way. Sorry, guys. Young leader. Young leader, guys. uh, Hey, remember when I was a young leader? (laughs) (laughs) Remember when I was a young leader? Boy, I remember those days. See what is funny though? What is funny now? I'm 39, and I did. You know, when I was like 30, I felt pretty confident myself, and felt like like I was a leader. Like I planted the churches. The last nine years knocked that out of you. (laughs) I know planted the church. Now I look back, I'm like. Who in the world was willing to come to my church oh. when I was 30? All those poor people. Oh, Phil, I think this all the time. People are like, I planted my church when I was 27. I'm like, what adult in their actual sane mind would listen to a 27-year-old pastoring them? And then listen, okay. there are guys that are way better than I am, so don't get me wrong. There are some 27-year-olds that I'm like, okay, you are a better everything than I am. If Alan Scott planted a church at 27, done, go to it. Done. But, but it's one of those things of like, I look back, I'm like, I had nothing to say at 27. What did I have? Besides to young people, I did have something to say to young people. There you go. You can be a youth pastor. Yes. Well, you're officially seasoned now. You're a seasoned veteran, and we want to say happy birthday, Phil. You're fully seasoned. Now you're fully, ready. Well, fully seasoned. Some yes, basil, oregano. Yeah. 40 was a big year. Oh, my gosh. See, Becky's full on doing dad jokes. On, on our it's podcast. It's been a while since I've been on here. Your season. I'm not sure. It's about time. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure that uh, people were clamoring for you to come back, Becky. We've got an incredible guest. We're going to be sitting down talking today. Please forgive us for any of the dad jokes that are coming on this podcast. Becky's not been on in a while, and she is all cooped up thinking of all the best jokes. So, anyways, happy birthday, Phil. Listen, check this thing out from World Vision. Then we're going to jump into an interview. In the world's most fragile places, devastating aftershocks of the COVID-19 crisis are pushing families deeper into poverty, putting kids at greater risk of hunger, malnutrition, violence, and neglect. Child sponsorship is you making a decision to provide $39 a month for a child in their community in extreme poverty to provide the most basic necessities of life. But most importantly, you provide hope. It is one of the most effective ways to help the world's most vulnerable children and their communities address the impacts of this pandemic and lift themselves out of poverty for good, especially now. The reality is thousands of children are waiting to be sponsored, but what you don't know is everything is about to change. For the first time, World Vision is inviting you to empower a child through sponsorship. Yet instead of you choosing them, they choose you something no organization has ever done before. It doesn't matter who you are, 
or where in the world you live, every single one of us wants to be seen, to be loved, to be chosen. Put the power to choose in a child's hands and give someone a chance to step into a life-changing relationship with you. Text podcast to 56170 and sponsor a child now. Well, we're excited today to be able to have, I can't actually remember if he's a first-time guest with us. I think we've had him on before. Would you remember? Either way, if I we haven't, remember, and I don't if think we, we have. haven't, we should have. We need to bring more people with accents onto our podcast to make us legitimate, right. to make us a little bit more like we're Scholarly. like we're the real deal. And so excited to have somebody that I don't just uh, I'll respect, and I actually respect it from afar for a long time, but really consider to be a friend. Uh, Alan Scott, Alan, it's great to have you on the podcast with us. We sure appreciate you taking some time to uh, jump on and have a conversation. Manning, just a delight. Adding a little international flavor. <laughs> You're now going global as a yes, That works. No longer reaching the dizzy <laughs> scope of Sacramento. Yes, You're now Tom. going further afield. Thank you. I appreciate you. I, I appreciate you investing in helping us go global. Uh, I'm more going to talk about this. You're actually pastoring uh, Vineyard Anaheim in Anaheim, in uh, Orange County. Uh, I'm not just saying this. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a handful of churches, I could probably count on one hand, of churches in the nation that I really look at, and, uh, and not just inspired by, but really would want to emulate and take what they're doing and see it integrated into our world. Uh, what Alan and his wife Catherine are, do, are leading would be one of those. Before we get into some of this stuff, can we have a conversation first about um, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland? Uh, because here's, here, here's the reality. You're from Scotland. How long did you live in Scotland? When did you move away from Scotland? I, I grew up in Scotland, born and raised there. So till I was about Till I went to college, about 20 years old. Okay. Then went to England, met Catherine, and then she took me back to her home, which is Northern Ireland. Okay. So you live in Scotland, then you moved to England, and now you are, you are in Northern Ireland before you came here. Now, let me just ask a really American question, and I imagine anybody outside the UK is going to ask this. What is the difference between Northern Ireland and Ireland? I, I, one, is, I, I, one is a part of the UK, one's not. Was this like... Yes, th- this is historic conflict. This, this is worse than any US election. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody said you're from Ireland, would you correct them? And say I'm actually from Northern Ireland. No, I would correct him and say I'm from Scotland. But, I, <laughs> <laughs> but my good. wife might correct him and say, "Hey, no, it's actually from Northern Ireland." Highly unlikely. Not in the U.S. We we kind of just, just go with it. You lump it all together. Plus, people like the Irish more than Northern Ireland, right? So people love the Irish here. Wait, would you not great. be Irish? You would be British in Northern Ireland. Are you? What are you in Northern Ireland? If you're they not would Irish? be British. British. Okay, see, this is a, these are the conversations we need to be having on this podcast. And these are the conversations you can't say as Americans. Like, oh no, not at eh. all. You're like, okay, so from the south. This is actually, I actually never knew that. I've been over there quite a few times too. You're Irish if you're from Ireland. You're British if you're from Northern Ireland. That's it. Wow. Except okay. if you're Catholic then you're Irish, even if you're in Northern Ireland, and that's where it gets okay. <laughs> very right. historical, right, political, friend. religious. All right, that works. Was it, um, let me ask this, when you moved, because I want to know about how it's been living in America and pastoring in America. I'm going to ask that question. Before I ask that question, though, was it different going from Scotland 
to England and then Scotland to Northern Ireland? Like, do Scottish people kind of look at England a certain way and Northern Ireland a certain way? Was that a was that a massive change? Yeah, not from Scotland to Northern Ireland. Culturally, it's pretty similar. They're, they're separated by 11 miles of water, so it really is close. Sure. So a lot of the humor, the worldview, the culture, very similar. Uh, Northern Ireland be a lot more religious than Scotland, so okay. would, obviously the conflict is in that. So yeah, broadly similar. England, England is another planet. <laughs> Okay, there we go. That answers it. Tell me, did you, we got to ask a Scottish question then. I remember meeting a guy in Scotland, one of my first times ever I went to Rugby England, and a guy that worked for Youth for Christ was from Scotland, and I'm not making this up. I, you would try to like catch every five words to piece together what he was saying. Like I could not, it was so thick, that accent. Um, and, and so it was quite fascinating. But have you had, what is it? What's the one with the stuffed is this the question you get all the time? Okay, we're, we're be, before you go, here's here's this. This is a small world moment. That guy led me to faith. Are you serious? I'm serious. His his name is Ian Bruce. Oh, yes, absolutely. So he, Ian the Bruce. big unit. Yeah, so we lived in the same street growing up. That's amazing. Are you serious right now? I'm serious, man. That is Isn't that amazing. Small world. And am I right though? Could you barely understand him? <laughs> I I can barely understand him. I can barely understand my brother. And so part, part of living in England and traveling around is I've modified my accent enormously to do you, be understood. Does your that's amazing that you know Ian Bruce? I don't even know where to put that right now. That's incredible. That's cool. Do you uh do you go home and people like just think you've lost your Scottish accent? They think I'm Italian. <laughs> like. What is that? Uh, Occasionally, there's a guy in Scotland, and he is like a musical legend. His name is Ian White, and he put the Sams to music. It was wonderful. And uh, when I met him, he asked me which part of Texas I was from. (laughs) It's humbling. It's It's humbling. You're a nomad. You're a nomad. Okay, we got to ask about, is it called haggis? What's it called? The stuffed sheep something stomach? Yes, haggis. Is that a real, like, is that really what? Did you say stuffed sheep's stomach? Yeah, tell me what, tell tell Becky, who's from the Midwest, what haggis is. And then is that actually a dish? I know it's a dish. I'm saying, is that just like? It's folklore. uh, Well, I know it's an actual dish, but is that something, is that something that you actually would serve over there? What is it, first of all? I'm just, I'm just loving the cultural insensitivity in play here, Banning. A few slander or national dish I'm not slandering anything. And, and uh, Vix, you're going to be saying, are the bagpipes a musical instrument? Do you actually play these things? <laughs> are they? No, come on. I'm, I, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I know, I know you're teasing. Uh, That's awesome, though. He's like, don't talk about our national dish that way. That's amazing. So, so far, so far, We've covered the historical conflict in Ireland that segregates two nations. Managed to slander <laughs> Scotland. Do you actually eat peanut butter and jelly? Oh, no, yes. I would, that? I would not be offended by that. And in England, they think peanut butter and jelly is the nastiest thing ever. Okay, uh, so wait, what is Yes, what is we, we do, we do, we do eat it. Uh, it wouldn't be common, but certain occasions you would have haggis, and, and certain parts of Scotland would eat it a lot more. Further north, you go up in the Highlands; they would have it more. Is it is it a good dish? I I enjoy it uh, probably the first two mouthfuls. <laughs> and it's it's sheep stomach. It's it's like black pudding. Do you have black? No, pudding I've here? had black pudding, and it's the nastiest thing yeah. ever. It was, I, they're like, you should try this in England. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but that's just nasty. So I'm going to offend England right now. 
And we're gonna. I'm gonna. But I'm sorry, guys. I don't know what you're thinking with black pudding. But yes, the truth is, I think the only thing Americans know about any of this is if you've watched the movie So I Married an Axe Murderer. I think like literally that that movie. <laughs> and this shows me Becky's too young to even know what that movie is. All right. Well, okay. We're gonna leave all of the cultural insensitivities behind. I apologize to everybody in Scotland, everybody in Northern Ireland and Ireland. I and I apologize to, about black pudding. I would just like to put it out right now that I apologize about all that, even though black pudding is nasty. And so is um, Marmite, or is that what it's called? Like, also nasty. Is, so whatever. Okay, let's move on from that. Uh, Alan, you are pastoring, no joke, uh, one of the most significant churches, I think, in the nation. Uh, what you're doing, what God's doing, uh, what you're leading is really significant. And one of, the, one of the things that's really been on your heart is activating people to engage and lead in the city. First time I met, well, first time I met you or first time I was with you up in Northern Ireland at a conference, just so taken back by what your church was doing to engage this city and really empower believers uh, to be in that. Can you give a little bit of a, we have a real heart. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you've already bought into this concept that we are here to change the world, you know. We want to be fully engaged in, um, in just the call of God to, to make an impact and a difference in the earth. Where's that coming from from you? What, what, have you always had a heart for that? Is that some type of revelation you had or some type of encounter that just led you to, we've got to be actively involved in the city? Um, it's a great question. We, we haven't always, I, I haven't always had a heart for the city, really. We, we started out Catherine and I as church planters. And so we, we were just grateful if anyone showed up on a Sunday. We're like, man, this is good. And then uh, after a while, we, we planted a number of churches. In about 2008, the recession hit, and it was particularly bad in Ireland. And then that cascaded up to the north. And uh, we realized, man, our, our community right now doesn't need more us to plant more churches it needs better businesses we need to do something that is lifts the community and so it kind of created a little bit for me at least of uh almost repentance just thinking differently about what we were doing and how do we begin to engage the city and uh, chatting with friends reading the scriptures praying all that kind of stuff discovering uh, the largeness of god's heart towards the city but it, it wasn't always in play uh, for sure and, and was a little bit challenging, even at a faith level. I, I would have, if pushed, I would have said, yeah, the kingdom is big enough for the city. But I don't think I really believed that. Mm. Wow. So when that kind of shifted, then how did that change what you did with church? Yeah, so we, we began to uh, just think a little bit differently as a team. And uh, we were seeing lots of people come to faith. We uh, that was part of what we did as a community in terms of individuals engaging around that. And then and then we just said, well, what if what if it was possible to see not only individuals, but what if what if God could do more than we believed he could? What if the gospel could prevail? And what if we could begin to see some industries changed? And what if what if we could see areas of the community begin to change? And so uh, we started the conversation through the scriptures with our community, and we started just to do what you guys do, elevating the importance of the everyday ordinary kingdom believers positioned in culture uh, that make a difference in that. So that, that was kind of the departure point. We're in kind of an affluent suburb, and and I, I know that there's things that we need to engage for sure, and we are. We're involved in the food bank and different homeless issues and things like that. But it's fascinating to me right now, even like churches that are in kind of some of the affluent suburbs, what does this look like, and, and what are those tangible needs? But is the area that you are in kind of a depressed area, or how did you begin to look at the city and say, here's what we're going to do? 
Uh, it's a mixture, really. So it's um, it's a highly desirable area to live in. Uh, it's right on the Atlantic Ocean, hills of Donegal, all that kind of stuff. If you've ever seen Game of Thrones, it's where they film that uh, that part. Which, by Bishmills, the way, we are whiskey. not recommending Game of Thrones on this podcast. This Let podcast me just say not, right now. This I'm is just, not sponsored or affiliated with Game of Thrones. Thrones. And, and, and from what I've heard, you need to fast forward a few scenes if you are watching it. So let's just keep going. We've never keep, seen it. Nobody's ever <laughs> listened to this podcast. Ever. Open, ever nobody, seen. Uh, nobody, nobody listening to this podcast would even know what Game of Thrones is. Am no. I right, Becky? I, I, I hardly know what it is. Okay, all right. There we go. So keep going, Alan. And it is beautiful up there. It's unbelievable. So it's a desirable area. Yeah, it's a... Yeah, so it's it's a mixture. It has pockets of poverty. It's um, when the recession hit, that hit a little bit harder, and so you're just looking at different ways of leaning in. It's a little bit now post COVID. That's the helpful moment in that that uh, you have communities that are staggering with trauma, and they're trying to figure out what just happened to us and can we recover. And uh, as a church, we realized, my goodness, we, we have to have a different posture towards our city. We want to lean in. We don't know where it's hurting. We know that it's hurting. Um, we don't want to come with kind of, here's what we think you need. We want to just sit and listen and hear your story and hear your pain. And when you have a conflict, uh, it's a post-conflict culture in Northern Ireland in many ways uh, due to the troubles that existed there for 25 years. So you have people who are carrying the baggage of losing loved ones through armed struggle and all of that kind of stuff. So when we began to sit and listen to people's pain and their trauma, it just changed a little bit for us of our informed that we've, but, you know, here's our practices. Here's the way that we want to begin to move towards the city. And so we use phrases like I'm sure you guys would of, okay, what does it look like to wash the feet of the city? We, we don't want to take the city. We want to bless the city. What does that look like? How do we, how do we do that? How do we serve it? How do we supply its destiny? And of course, it was uh, where we lived as St. Patrick had visited. So we had this history of 1,500 years of uh, God's story being written into the stones of our city. And so part of that is like, how do we listen for the original design, the destiny of the city, and, and trying to take both the pain that existed in the hearts of the people who lived there, and then the purpose that God had for the city all along, and and allow those that brokenness and that fullness to collide. I'm fascinated by this. We're all pastors, so we would think corporately, how do we engage our church? But when you're talking about what's the original design, when you're talking about, I don't know what the pain is, but uh, but they're in pain. When you don't talk to pastors, when you're just talking to people. How do you encourage them to engage that? Like, I, I don't know who else is talking at that level, like, how do we wash the feet of a city? But as you're talking to believers who are not leading churches, uh, how are you encouraging them to engage those questions? Honestly, for me, Banning, they, they come to us with those questions because they're living, their workplace looks very differently. So the story that they're hearing and seeing, the people that they're sitting with, the things that they're discussing together, it all surfaces there. And they're often wrestling that tension of, uh, I don't quite know how to step into their story without losing my story. And and had I, had I washed their feet without becoming kind of subservient to what they're doing? So so often it's it's the guys in the church bringing that uh, to us in that sense. Um, and just saying, here's, and, and often at a structural level, pastoral level, we'll follow what they're doing. So some of our best ministries at home, 
and increasingly here come from those kind of interactions where people are sitting with someone in the city and discovering, my goodness, here's here's an area of real pain. Um, the, the purpose one is is a little different. It's trying to discern, okay, I, I think of uh, Nehemiah as the example in that he's in Jerusalem, he's sitting, he's weeping, but he knows it's the city of righteousness. He knows the divine intent that it be a place of peace. And so he's completely aware of the original design for the city. If we are in Anaheim today, we're saying we know that it was founded by Quakers, people with a heart for the kingdom and Germanic. And so it was always in its DNA that it would attract the nations. And then years later, Disney comes and Disneyland becomes an, a place that attracts the nations. But it was always it was always in the design in the beginning that it would be a city where nations would gather. Alan, as I'm listening to you kind of share, like I'm just, I'm thinking through, obviously, like Manny said, there's this place where where when we hear this, we, for us, on, I see it in a pastoral way and from a communal way, as you do, because it's, it's the chair you're kind of leading it from. But I'm thinking about what this looks like for individuals. And I'm, I'm, I guess there's two things that I'm hearing in the midst of what you're saying. And I think the first is the ability to actually move into spaces in the world and yet maintain their own identity so it's it, i'm because i'm watching this become incredibly difficult for people of like how do i walk into my workplace and meet people's needs and listen to people's pain and yet have the ability to to hold on to who i am as a follower of jesus and yet it's like almost like an art that people have lost this missional evangelistic love your enemy, love people who are different than you, that I can actually carry this core identity as a follower of Jesus, but fully enter into somebody else's space with grace and hospitality and mission. And I'm like, I think as I'm listening, I'm realizing people don't know how to do that. And um, I think that there's, there's a challenge in that. And the second is just even this vision around how do you get, you know, getting to the point where you're actually thinking beyond the busyness and the need of the moment. It's like, I think people are, not moving towards these kind of spaces because they don't even know how to, they're just reacting. Life is reaction. I'm reacting to what I need. I'm reacting to my workplace. I'm reacting to my feelings. I'm reacting to getting through the day. I'm reacting. And, and I'm just listening to you. I'm realizing like for, for a leader to actually begin to think like you think and to be able to move into this place of like a vision for a city, you, you actually even have to know how to how to actually hold a sacred identity in secular spaces? How do I actually go into the world and and know how to hold on to who I am? And then also, how do I actually live from a future perspective? How do I actually live for a mission and not a, just always out of reaction? And so, I'm, I guess as I'm, I'm one, I would love to hear like, do you see those things as well? And if so, how do you help people learn how to do that? How do people get to the place where they can actually move towards their city, not lose their sense of who they are? And how do you actually begin to start thinking about the future of a city when you're just caught up in the day-to-day of your life? Phil, I, I love that. And I love the intentionality and the thinking. And I, I think for, for us, in terms of some of the steps that we took is, is a little bit like, you know, where Jesus says, whose inscription do you see? It's training our eyes to see the city through the lens of Psalm 24, right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You're like, hey, you're you're looking here and you're seeing the wrong inscription. You're seeing you're seeing the city as as something that is against you and hostile towards you, and you're missing you're missing the lordship of Christ over the city, albeit maybe not embodied in the city, 
or demonstrated through the city. And so we we do those kind of uh, early steps of how we need to bring some theological thinking to this. Then we want to bring some biblical understanding in, in the sense of um, in the early days in, in Northern Ireland, but also here in Natville, we'd say Paul, anytime he writes, he writes to the church in to the church in Corinth, to the church in Thessalonica, to the church in Ephesus. In other words, he never separates the church from the city. Mm. And and so we begin having conversation that just says, God separates us for our cities, not from our cities. Mm. And so you are, you're set apart, but you're set apart to bring life back to the city. Now, what does that begin to look like? And so we're we're building that kind of biblical architecture around it and yeah. then moving towards, as you say, helping them. So that little word in this city that, sorry, where I was thinking in that is uh, we recognize that you probably feel intimidated to the church, intimidated <laughs> by yeah. the city, or you may feel insecure or you may feel inferior or you may feel that you're going to be influenced by the city. Uh, but we say to you, you're the church inscribing hope again in the heart of the city. And so uh, our goal, we never, we, I think the enemy's greatest strategy is to try to intimidate us out of our inheritance. And he has done a masterful job in that when it comes to the church in the city. He's saying, don't go there because you'll lose who you are. And I think the other thing that he's really skilled in is trying to get us, if he can't intimidate us from the city, he'll get us to imitate it. And so I think for us in that field, what we did with our guys is, is we just said, look, your vulnerability is your greatest gift to the city. Yeah, We don't need your strength. We're all broken. So uh, just show up, be vulnerable, be who you are, live in the story. And where the story begins breaking into their life, just uh, draw some attention. So that was the kind of like the theological, biblical, and, and a little bit of practice. I just think this is so challenging because what I hear you saying is, this is in in our world of polarization. This is not how believers are viewing their city. I'm just I'm watching as what's happening is people are viewing their city as the enemy. They're polarizing into an us versus them, and certainly as followers of Jesus, we hold convictions and standing faithfully for those convictions is not a wrong thing. But the mindset switches. So rather, you know, the Jeremiah 29 vision of, uh, listen, there is a, there's a vision of good for our city because the, the, our future is attached to its future. Plant roots, be a blessing, have children, get married. Just this, this vision of what it looks like to be a people among a city and to seek the good of that city is almost in some ways like a complete identity that has been lost in this moment as the, as the world polarizes. So I'm just, I just am so as always drawn by what is in your heart, Alan, and recognizing that it is so counterculture to what I'm seeing happening as right now, like the greatest, the, the loud Christian message is uh, it's, it's us versus them. Let's stand our ground. Let's be resilient. And I'm not against resilience and we got we to gotta learn how to, how to stand faithfully in the gospel and not be indoctrinated by false beliefs of culture. But it's very different to be resilient and to view the city as our enemy. Would you say that this is this, this what separates fear and love? I mean, I grew up in a culture that the city is what you're scared of, or, or we would say culture is what you're scared of. I mean, I was in a very conservative Baptist church. I remember being in my school, which is a, a Baptist Christian school, 
nothing wrong with Baptists. I'm just defending everybody today. I'm just going to full on just this defend everybody. This is, this is what we're doing. This has been in soapbox. Uh, this was a, a conservative legalistic school, uh, which could go across denominations. But I remember our, we had like a spiritual emphasis week. And the spiritual emphasis week was a guy came in and showed us slides. It was the overhead slides of all of the advertising that had hidden messages in it. <laughs> how it had the word sex in the clouds. <laughs> how it said, like, like and, and, and it was like the world was something to be scared of. Mm. The world was something that, and so then it produced this thing where you're just in the corner trying to somehow survive the onslaught. This is my problem when we're talking about cultural wars and all that. I'm just in the corner trying to survive the onslaught of this world that's trying to get me to have sex because the ad has a hidden message. They, this is when they would play the, uh, the albums backwards. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they, yes. would, they would full on play the albums backwards to show what it said. Um, it, but, but then all of a sudden I'm approaching the city out of fear, not out of love. Would, would that be some of what we're talking? I, I also had a long answer, long answer question. Uh, would that be some of what we're talking about? Trying to get believers out of fear and into love? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's I think it all comes back to posture. There's not a there's not a strategy for the city. I think we're always looking for a strategy. There's a posture, right, that we that we bring to it. And as long as that posture is um, reluctance to engage or avoidance, out of out of a beautiful heart for reverence, it's it's always the wellspring of that in people is a desire to be pleasing to the Father. I think. And to to not in any way dishonor him, and so there's a cultural avoidance that takes place there, that becomes a root of fear, um, and and particularly in Northern Ireland, we we saw that again and again. And then moving here, it's um, for us watching the last couple of years for the U.S. Like I feel like I'm back in Northern Ireland in the 1990s with its extreme political polarization. Did something and happen? Still, did something happen last still, year? Did I, did I miss? Did something Ireland happen in America? Today. Yes. Unpack that just a little bit. Uh, that that even in in some of the political landscape over here, experiencing some of that same division. That's interesting. Yeah. So so what we what happened in Northern Ireland is you had centrist parties that became increasingly extreme in their. So you lost the middle ground, essentially, politically. And then uh, the the debates became about casting aspersions on the other party and the issues that, meanwhile, people on the streets were, were struggling with real real life kind of difficult challenges in their everyday ordinary life. And they felt that there were, uh, it's probably too detailed, but we had on the one side, we had people who had literally bombed their way to the ballot box. That was, that's the history of so that they would become a bona fide political party. Uh, but they knew how to package their message really well. And on the other side, you had this bombastic individual who would shout as loud as possible. And and it just, so for us coming here, you're like, oh, I've seen this movie. <laughs> and the, the rhetoric increases and everybody loses. Nobody wins there. The hurts continue. The pain continues. There's no... Um, and so when when uh, that rhetoric increased here, we we felt okay. We we've got a real opportunity to lean in with a different posture. And I think that is what we do. We come and we're like, "What's the fix? What's the fix to the homeless problem in my city? What's the fix to the, you know, the drug issue? What's the fix? What's the fix? What do we have to do?" And we get frustrated rather than going, "I'm gonna, I'm going to insert myself with a posture towards my city 
to to just be, to be here. I'm from a really small middle of nowhere, Midwest town where it was just everybody, all you wanted to do was leave, just leave this town that has nothing going for it, just leave. And I, I talk to, I'm with youth all the time too. So the, the young people, they're like, I just want to get out. I want to get out of my city. There's nothing for me. They want to leave, leave, leave. And I'm going, we need to raise up a generation of believers who aren't looking to escape the pain of their city for a better opportunity, for the Hollywood Hills, for the the affluent suburb, but to have, you know, the compassion to go, maybe I'm called here to build community, to have families, to start businesses. And so, you know, I don't know, what what would you say to to those people who are like, I I don't want to, maybe they feel whatever I did would be too insignificant. There's no way I could change the, the culture or the course of what's going on here. So I just need to leave. You know, fight against that discouragement to just feel like I I couldn't do anything to make a difference. Yeah, I'm not honestly sure, Becky. I think often um, young folks are are looking for a better story, and they miss their own story that they carry. And I was just talk, talking with our guys the other day, and I said, "Look, we are we're a culture around here, particularly where we live, LEOC kind of area, that is constantly looking for inspiration from somewhere." Mm-hmm. And the story of God is the story of inscription. Mm. It's a story that God has written something in you that that begins to change the things around you. And so for those young people, it would be teaching them whose inscription do you see? What what do you see? What has God written in you? You're, You're looking for something external to affirm or to inspire, but actually God has written something in you that will begin to transform areas, communities, industries, around you, wherever you are, whether it's Daniel in the book of Daniel doing that or or whoever it is, there's just those moments saying, hey, you, the story within you is greater. And particularly here, we have a culture drowning in its own narrative and competing narratives. And you're saying, actually, Ivan Tillich it was who said, you change a culture by telling an alternative story. Mm. Well, we've heard the stories out there and moving to another city to get involved in that story isn't going to change the story. It's going to repeat it. And we need some people who rewrite the story. And the only way to rewrite the story is to take what God has put in you, that unique creativity that came from him, and begin to express that in the landscape of people's pain in a way that opens up kingdom purpose. And that's what you see, right? All throughout America, particularly, are just these abandoned cities where it's just they've people you know it's this the urban sprawl and, and the gentrification it's just like it's all just we're leaving this but the answer really is yeah the church the local church raising people up and yeah. saying go engage incredible don't don't yeah abandon well listen alan i really sure I, I appreciate you taking time just to sit down with us obviously there's a lot more to unpack a lot more that you're carrying around this thing how can people connect with you how can they find out more about your church find out more about you if they want to text you yeah, <laughs> I would point them to your social media. I would point them to your social media, but as a friend of yours, I think you're horrible at that. So, give us your give us the website of the church at least, and uh, point them there, and, and they can get sermons. What vineyardanaheim.com. They can get your sermons there. They can get the different things. I'm assuming. Yeah, they they'll be able to hear a little of what we're what we're doing. Yeah, in in that space. Hear more of accents. Yes, hear more accents. Uh, hear him. Haggis. Yes, <laughs> hear him Play talk bagpipes, about bagpipes. Yeah, bagpipes. Yeah, they they do worship with bagpipes and Jeremy Riddle. Well, 
is really good to have you, uh, Alan. Thank you for jumping hey, on with us. Always a joy, my friend. Well, every time I am around Alan, I do think this like super nice guy, super sharp. Like yeah. the way that he thinks and how he unpacks things, I'm like, dude, that's just so good. I know. In a really short amount of time, like inspiring. Yeah, like, no. I don't Tell think people feel that way when they spend 15 yeah. minutes with me. No, no. Well, we do for sure. And again, we'd like to give a gold star to Phil for the best question of the podcast by far. Just gold star. I just star. want to say I fed him those questions. I texted Absolutely. him and I just wanted Phil to look good on his birthday. That's right. Come on now. On his birthday. Happy so. birthday. Listen, everybody, make sure you check out World Vision and uh, listen, Get jump in. Be a part of the Chosen program. It's really been uh, instrumental. It's been incredible even for my own life, uh, uh, what God's doing there. So make sure you check it out, World Vision. Also, everywhere, what do we say? Like, share, five star, subscribe. What else am I supposed to say? All that type All of things. stuff. And we will see you again. Bye.